At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Man, do we need truth. There's so many suggestions of other messages, other, other claims that just need opposed and you gather together as saints on a regular basis, and it's like, okay, my, my vision can stay right. I'm telling you, if, if you neglect gathering together to clarify your vision, I guarantee your vision will be distorted. Because God's just designed it that way. He says, I, I, I've left you in a broken world because I want more people to know me. But the world is broken, and so you're going to need to come together often and help each other maintain the true perspective on what is real and what is right. So thank you. Thanks for, thanks for being here today. I need you. And you need you. You need yous. <laughs> we need y'all. Turn to Lamentations chapter 4. Lamentations is actually five different poems. Five chapters, five poems, all describing an emotional response to a historical event that occurred to the nation of Judah. And we're going to tell the story briefly today about what happened. We're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 25 so you know exactly what, what happened. But we humans love stories, don't we? But even in some of the reality TVs, when they, TV shows, when they uh, describe these sagas of, of this competition or whatever, it's not, they, they know that the competition itself can't hold an audience. So they have to put a story in it. Whether it's extreme makeover and designing this home, it's not really about the home, it's about the family and their journey that this experience will, will assist. American Idol, right? And all those contestants in all those years all those seasons, it hones in on their story. In fact, part of getting to Hollywood is the judges trying to press in to the contestant to see, okay, what, what brought you to this point? What's this, why'd you choose that song? They know that, that we as humans, we need to hear story. That'll move our heart. Like the story of... of Romeo Dion from a previous episode of The American Idol. His family fled war-torn Liberia, found a home in a displacement camp in Sierra Leone and lived in deplorable conditions. But American Idol and the journey of that was giving him an opportunity to leave such heritage and find find sustained significance in culture. Or, or Ramiro Garcia, this young man was born without ears. Doctors told his parents that he'll never hear, he'll probably never talk. But as he sang for the judges, they pressed in to hear his story, and he told them that he was employed as a worship leader for a large church. 
using his musical gifts that God had miraculously provided to him, now being able to sing. And so with that talent, they sent him to Hollywood. Right? Those stories move us and it, it captures our attention because we know that it's not just data and facts and events. These are, these are people with experiences that so many of us can relate to or at least we find compassion towards. The book of Lamentations is based on a story, an actual event that happened to the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah was a strong nation. They had a heritage of ruling in that land with, with great splendor. They had resources in their land that, that other nations would flock to. But they experienced a situation that would cause the nations of the world to wag their head at them as they didn't go from rags to riches like many of the stories we like to read or listen to. It really is a story of riches to rags. In Jeremiah, we assume, wrote the book of Lamentations, his poetic expression of his heart when he saw what was once a beautiful nation now smoldering as the capital city was utterly destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. Let me read from you. I don't think we've, we've read this yet in our, in our series, but it, but it helps us understand how far of a fall the nation of Judah had experienced. And as we read 1 Kings 25, I need someone who's fairly good at math at least, you know, like how many months are in a year, right? And you can kind of keep track of that. So let's see, who's, who's, is there a teacher in the room? Raise your hand if you're proud to be an educator to our students. Yeah. Joe, you're an art teacher. Rhonda, you're a homeschool teacher. Joe, I know you can add because you sell your painting. So I know you can, your math is good. <laughs> but Rhonda, would you keep track of a timeline for me as we read 1 Kings 25? And if you struggle, you've got your students around you that can help you. All right. Here's, here's the story from 1 Kings chapter 25 that resulted in Jeremiah writing these poems of lament. Verse 1. And in the ninth year of his reign, his being King Zedekiah, all right, write that down, Rana. In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, came with all his, his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. They built siege works all around it so that the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day, of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls by the king's gardens, and the Chaldeans were around the city. They went in the direction of Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, overtook him in the plain of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. 
Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they passed sentence on him. And they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him in chains, and took him to Babylon. It's just the beginning of this destruction. So let me ask, homeschool teacher, Rhonda, how long was this siege? 18 months. 18 months of the largest empire of the world coming against the city of Jerusalem, completely surrounding it, keeping anything from going in and anything from going out. This was the city. You don't farm in the city. You don't raise cattle or sheep or any livestock in the city. You simply live. And you go out of the city for your resources for 18 months. This city was surrounded by the greatest empire in the world. It got so desperate that the soldiers, in a last-ditch effort to somehow, maybe, find a way to somehow get out of their place of vulnerability, maybe to get out, sneak out, get around, find a weak spot, and provide a way back into the city so their people can be cared for. But even that failed. The king was slaughtered and all the leaders with him. So when you think of this scene of destruction, maybe don't think simply of it, of being attacked and things caught on fire. Think instead of hundreds of thousands of people trapped for 18 months, where it probably would have taken about two months for their resources to be depleted. Think of how over 100,000 people would have survived for those next 16 months with no food, no crops, no animals as they ration anything that they have in those 16 months, even their rations are gone. As we look at chapter 4, we see Jeremiah's description of this land that now had been destroyed by the sword, but it didn't take that much because the people were basically destroyed by starvation. First of all, in his poem, he, show, he sees precious people now became worthless. Verse 1 says, How gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they're regarded as now earthen pots, the work of potter's hands. The poem begins in the sa- with the same word that poems one and two begin. How could this happen? Or maybe the English translation better word is alas or woe. How could, how could it get so bad where the gold is now like clay pots? Gold, he's not talking about the literal gold or precious stones. He says, our gold was the people. And now they're like garbage. 
Verse 5 continues, it says, Those who once feasted on delicacies perished in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace, ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughters of my people had been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. Remember the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? The Bible sent them a warning that because of their abuse of the poor and their immorality, God would bring judgment to them. And it would be a swift and severe judgment. And that's exactly what happened as God sent fire and brimstone from heaven and it consumed the land. Jeremiah said, oh, if only that had happened to us because what happened to us is so much worse. Because not only did we, were we destroyed by fire and sword, but it was an 18-month agonizing destruction. It would have been better for fire and brimstone to fall, but instead, we saw our people diminish to other worthlessness. It gets worse. Verse 9, it, it, it needs a graphic material warning before this. It says, verse 9, Happier were the victims of the sword than victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by their lack of fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their children. They become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah moans at this situation that became so severe that the women who were known as being compassionate for their children were pushed over the brink of reason and some of those compassionate women for the sake of the survival of their community had resorted to the unthinkable. Has there been a time, and even in our culture, when you look around and you think, how could we have gotten to such a place? We're in a land that's known for its brotherhood, and we sing songs about it in our country, and yet, look how easily people, people slaughter people. And how you have an argument over a certain thing that happened, and that you solve the argument by pulling out a handgun and just shooting the person. Or for the convenience of a life, you think, well, then I'll just take the life of the unborn. Or to make it easy for the life of the elderly to be taken away. Or for the sake of health, you just, you just compartmentalize people off to the sides and kind of forget about those because they're not as valuable as us. You ever get to the point where you look around and say, how could we get to this point? And if you do, if you have, you've probably had that second thought of, and how could you let this happen? If God is good and he's all-powerful, then why does he allow such injustice to occur? That was Jeremiah's lament. In Lamentations 2 and 3, God's the subject where he continues to go to God and say, God, you did this. God, you allowed this. God, you enabled this. Why? Lamentations 4, verse 11, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any inhabitants of the world, that an enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. 
Jeremiah says, remember, it, was, it seemed like just yesterday when the kings wouldn't attack us because they knew that there was a God in Jerusalem. In fact, God said to the Hebrew people, I'm going to work in a way in Egypt so that when you leave your slavery, the nations of the world will say, whoa, here comes the Jews because they have a God that even the Egyptians couldn't stand against. And there were times where they moved to the promised land that the nations would step aside because they knew there was a God in Israel. And Jeremiah said, what happened? Now the nations of the world look and say, I guess there's not a God in Israel. Shouldn't this be the one place that's untouchable? But Jeremiah says, this is the result of the fury of God. Part of the reason that God's hand of protection was removed was because of the leaders in the land. Verse 13, we see the idolatrous leaders that lose God's protection. Verse 13 says, this was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of her, the righteous they wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. He's talking about the leaders. Away, unclean, the people cried at their leaders. Away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. And the Lord himself has scattered them. He'll regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor to the elders. So these were the men whom God had entrusted to shepherd his people. He said to the prophets, I'm going to give you dreams so you can see what I'm going to do. But because of their rebellion, God stopped giving them dreams. God says, I'm going to speak through my prophets so that the world and the nation will know the word of the Lord. But because the priests stopped listening to God, God stopped giving them his word. You ever look around and you think, why is it the leaders that continue to fall so badly? As you look at government leaders that make choices and rule with whether it's deception or immorality, and you pound your forehead and say, what were they thinking? But then you see it creep into the church and you see throughout the American church, you see this religious leader and that religious leader failing badly, abusing children, robbing their churches, dividing congregations. And the reality is, as we raise our kids, it's going to get close to home, too. Coaches will have favorites. Teachers will grade unfairly. We're going to have to, as parents, as we raise our children, we're going to have to help them navigate through the disappointment with culture, with government, with church, with leaders. 
so we're going to look for human solutions, which is what the Jewish people did. Verse 17, it says, Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could save us, but they dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered, our end has come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They even looked to other nations. The Jewish people did. They looked to Egypt. They looked to Edom. Would you guys do something to help us? But all of them failed them. And here's the reality, parents, as we're seeking to raise our kids in a broken society. Human solutions will fail us. Lamentations is a hard book to read. Because there's so much darkness. We'll get, next week we're going to read the last poem. And you're going to come next week, you're going to be thinking, yeah, but in the end, everything's right. Correct? We're going to get the end of chapter 5, and you're going to see the final words are, it's so bad. We're going to say, oh, then why did we even read this book? Well, because in the midst of the darkness, there is a ray of hope. It's hidden in, verse, in, in chapter 4. In the fourth poem, it's hard to see, but it's there. In verse 22, we see that there is an end with a ray of hope. Verse 22 says, The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. That's as positive as this book gets. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. In other words, Jeremiah says, this is terrible, this is horrible. It's so overwhelming. But it's going to end. There'll be a moment where we can look back and say, wow, we made it. You see, Jeremiah, God gave to Jeremiah a message. He wrote it in the book, Jeremiah. Several chapters of Jeremiah's warning to the nation that this calamity was coming. Lamentations was after calamity. The book of Jeremiah was written before it. So Jeremiah is saying, look out, it's coming. Turn, repent, lest God come in his fury and the king's rejected his message. In fact, he, they were so, he was so annoying to them, he, they threw him in a dungeon. They put him in stocks and said, we don't want to hear that message. And so Jeremiah, stuck in the stocks at the bottom of the well, kept saying, he's going to come and his fury will be horrendous. But in chapter 29, Jeremiah says, before God's fury is unleashed, he says this familiar verse that maybe you didn't even realize was in this context. Jeremiah 29 verse 10 says, Jeremiah says, And when the 70 years are completed, God will visit you and fulfill his promise and bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, Jeremiah in his lament 
recognize how dark the world is. Praise God for how his word does not plastic the world. Sometimes we kind of wish he would just make it like it was really good, but we realize it's not, so God's word doesn't pretend that it is. Lamentations gives us permission to admit that the world is hard, and yet there's a ray of hope that God gives to us where he says to us, but this calamity will not endure forever. It will come to an end, and I will bring you back. There's a ray of hope in the midst of darkness. No matter how dark it gets, there's a ray of hope. As I was thinking of this, actually this morning, pondering just those experiences of, of darkness and reading again many of, the, many of the laments that you as a church have placed in this box, and my heart is broken over such things. I was reminded of a experience of darkness that that I had literally but in a figurative sense we visited the great the the mammoth cave in Kentucky how many have ever been to mammoth cave all right a handful of you it's worth it you take a tour it takes you down into this huge cavern down in the depths of the earth in our tour guide I don't know if they still do this this was this was years ago it was terrifying, so maybe they don't do this anymore. But he brought us down. There was a group of, I don't know, 50 of us. And he said, now we're about a mile from the entrance, so we're about to experience complete darkness. He had a flashlight. There was lights that were lighting up the cavern. You could see all the beautiful stalagmites and stalactites and such things. He says, in a moment, we're going to turn off all the lights. So some of you might want to reach out and grab the hand of a person close to you. It won't be dark for long, just about 20 seconds, but I want to give you a chance to experience maybe for the first time in your life total darkness. And then he gave the countdown. Three, two, one. Ka-choo. There wasn't an ounce of light coming from anywhere thicker than I've ever experienced. Those 20 seconds felt like an hour. As you're thinking, what if something happened to those lights? What if they don't come back on? Of course, I didn't reach out and grab someone's hand when the lights went out, but after about five seconds, I started to. <laughs> right? Because when darkness hits, you need someone. When darkness hits, you need something solid because you can't see something solid. The reality is it's there. You just can't see it like you can when there's light. Most of us are not in that place of utter darkness right now in our lives. But you probably will be. And can I encourage you that while there's a little light shining in your life where you feel, sometimes you feel God's presence and sometimes you, his truth just seems so real to you. Can I, can I just warn you, there will be a time when it won't. So now is the time to hide that in your heart. 
Now's the time to cultivate that relationship with Jesus. Now's the time to build friendships with other faith followers because when darkness comes to your life, you're going to need it. Jeremiah says, when it's in the darkest of places, there's a ray of hope that says this will not be forever. And that's where the gospel comes in to the difficulties in our life. When Jesus went to the cross and gave himself for us on the cross, and he died and was buried, as we sang just a few moments ago, when he rose from the dead, that proved that our sorrows are not forever. That when the greatest of our enemies is defeated and our bodies rise to forever be with him, we can know that, yep, those 70 years of captivity are gone. His plans for me were to give me a hope and a future. And even in this life, even before our full resurrection, so many times God grants to us that relief from times of difficulty. When we grieve, God heals our grief and we get to the point where we can move on in life. When we get abused and mistreated, God does bring to us other people that treat us with value and dignity to help us move past that abuse that we experience. Ultimately, His Holy Spirit is given to us, our comforter, God who will be with us in our times of difficulty. He'll never leave and never forsake us. So Lamentations tells us that there is darkness that will come. Parents, as we raise our kids, this is a difficult world to raise them. But we have hope. We have solid ground that we can stand on. The problem is we get caught up in this culture and we think, well, solid ground is getting them into all these different activities because surely the earth has a solution. But the thing is, the earth has no ultimate solution. Our culture has no ultimate solution. The best thing you can do for your children is to help them know Jesus. Because he will remain. In the darkest of times, he will remain. In times when you can't feel him, he will be there. In times when you can't see his truth coming to pass, it will. In times like when we feel there's no hope, we do have hope. Grandparents, the best thing you do is nurture and model for those grands a love for Jesus. Church, the best thing we can do as we work together for our future is to make sure our next generation is hearing the claims of Jesus and seeing them in our lives. Because in the darkest of times, there is a ray of hope, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true regardless of whether we see it or not. Your word is true regardless of whether it feels true. Regardless of what the culture says about your word, it is timeless, it is true, it is pure, it is good, it gives life, it restores. And Father, may we be committed to this book. May we be committed to following you in helping the next generation follow you also. Lord, with those 
who are struggling right now in difficulties in their life, I pray that you'd come around them, assure them of your truth. Maybe, Lord, that's our role today. Maybe there's someone that you're calling us to put our arm around today to say, I'm praying for you, I'm with you, I'm here if I can help. Maybe that's the role our church needs to play in this community. That although there's difficulty around, our church can be a place that gives life, it gives hope, it gives not only a message of salvation, but shows them the fruit of salvation. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit empower us to live as instruments of light in a dark world. So speak to us, Lord. If there's lament on our hearts, I pray we'd cast that at your feet. there's fears and doubt, I pray that we give them to you. You are our hope and our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.